All right, welcome to another No Bullshit Podcast for Contractors. And what we're going to be talking about today is we're going to be talking about protecting you from a legal perspective. We got Kayla Quinter with us. She's a construction lawyer and she's going to give you guys insights on, you know, how you got to protect yourselves from contract, you know, with contracts. We're going to talk about liens. We're talking about all the things that you need to know from a protective legal perspective. Because guess what? If you're not protecting yourself, who's protecting you? Okay, let's see you on the flip side. Until right now, this very moment, contractors have always been on their own, not as tradespeople, but being alone and knowing how to take their business to the next level. They call us working class, they call us blue collar. They say that we don't have the smarts to become the business owner that we're meant to be. That is such bullshit. You have the ability. You're more than any of that. The question really is where do you get the insights that you need specific to contracting to systemize your business so you can get your profits to pay for your freedom. I'm Andrew Houston. I'm gonna show you how to make more profits, how to get more control, how to get more freedom in the simplest, quickest way possible without any of that bullshit. Welcome to the No Bullshit Podcast for Contractors. Listen up, level up, and if you learn something, like the video, subscribe to the channel, change your business, change your life. All right, we are going live here. Welcome everybody to another No Bullshit Podcast for Contractors. And I've got a like, top-notch rock star with me today. I got Kayla with me. Um, and uh, Kayla is gonna be talking to us about legal aspects. She specializes in the contracting space. And we're gonna sort of run this like a bit of a QA. and a um, And basically for those of you that are in the Facebook group, the Profitable Contractors Association, uh, uh, Facebook group, just post your questions and we'll, we're going to do our best to uh, facilitate that. Uh, but in the interim, we're going to address, you know, some of the top questions that get typically asked from a legal perspective. Kayla, welcome. Hi, right. Andrew. Thanks so much for that uh, great introduction. For yeah. those of you who don't know me, and I'm sorry, I can't actually see who's on this live right now. That's okay. Um, no problem. I can, so I can see it. Some familiar faces. And uh, but for those of you who I don't know, um, my name is Kayla Quinter. I am a partner at a law firm in Toronto called Torque and Mains. Uh, I specialize in construction law. I have colleagues who specialize in most other areas of the law, but um, again, my specialty is construction law and I do the contractor uh, contract drafting side as well as the litigation. So um, I've worked with a lot of PFC clients already and I'm always uh, excited to work with more. Today, uh, Andrew has asked me to come and have a, a little chat about some of the ways that you can protect yourself and your business as a contractor. I'm sure that most of you have already uh, experienced that construction can be a challenging area to be in. It's very litigious. There's a lot of fighting that goes on. Um, and so it's important to, to protect yourself. So um, I'm going to, I'm happy to take questions. And uh, Andrew, if you want to interrupt me with questions at any point, go for it. Andrew's yeah, going to be asking sure. the questions that are posted in the group. Um, but I, I'm going to start off with a couple of things that I want to talk about. So sure. the first thing that uh, you're going to, anyone who's ever heard me talk uh, has heard me talk about these two things, but I'm going to talk about them again. So awesome. not, never too many times. And then I'm also going to share some um, horror stories because I was asked to, to do that as well. And I think that cautionary tales are always important. So first thing I want to say is that I cannot overstate the value of being incorporated. 
Um, I know that some of you guys are based in the United States, and in the United States, you've got another corporate structure called an LLC, a limited liability company. I uh, practice law in Ontario. I don't know uh, the difference between an LLC and a corporation from a, from a pros and cons perspective. So you can certainly talk to a lawyer in your uh, jurisdiction about that question. But my understanding is that that is also a, a valuable way to protect yourself. But the bottom line is that you, you should not be operating a construction company as, you know, Andrew Houston. I've got a you know hammer. I'm here. Um, you, you need to be incorporated. It Construction, as I said, can be so litigious. And if you don't have a company and you get sued, you're going to be sued in your personal capacity and you, you, they can take your house. That's that's the bottom line. Um, you know, and, it, and, it's, and it's happened. It's happened. It doesn't happen often, but it happens. Absolutely. And it, yeah. And so um, the, the number one thing that you can do to protect yourself is to incorporate. In Ontario, you can incorporate online without a lawyer's help for about $300. Um, it's really straightforward. You can hire a lawyer to help you. And if you want to do anything interesting with, you know, shareholders and partners and, you know, whatever kind of corporate structure you want, uh, we can help you out. A lawyer in your jurisdiction can help you out. But just to have the basic incorporation and have yourself protected, super easy. You can do it by yourself online. It's like 300 bucks. From my perspective, it's a no-brainer. So if you it, haven't it, done it already, it's not, it's not yeah. only a no-brainer, and let's not get deep into because that's not the point of today's conversation. It's not only critical to protect yourself, but everybody listening in, um, you know, and, and maybe a lot of you are incorporated. But if you're not incorporated, I'm going to tell you right now, one of the one of the best things of having a business and it being incorporated is the amount of tax that you don't have to pay. All right. So if you if you really if you really want to, you know, this is not just, you know, you get to protect yourself, but it's also you get to you actually get to keep a lot more money instead of it going to the government. OK, but from a protection perspective, I mean, why do you think people, you know, like I've heard some people, they seem to be hesitant, like, I don't know if I should incorporate or not. Like um, they think it's like, you know, I don't know, some major overhaul of their business or, or it's, it's way more complicated than what they think. What, what's your, what's your comments on that? So, you know, I think that this really goes back to all the things that the PFC talks about all the time. Right. I think it's just one in my experience, when I've talked to people who aren't incorporated or haven't incorporated and continue to not incorporate, it's never been, they've never been concerned about something. It's never like, oh, but what if this happens? Or I'm worried about this. It's always just like, oh yeah, I got to do that. Um, I'll do it eventually. And it's, it's the same thing you always talk about, right? You're, you're busy, you're a contractor, you're running your own business, you're doing everything by yourself and you just don't have time to get yourself incorporated. So, um, you know, if it's something that's on your to-do list but you haven't done it yet, put it at the top of your to-do list, make it a priority and get it done because it is so critically important. Yeah. And as I said, it's, it's easy, it's not expensive. And, um, and it's, it's as Andrew says, a no brainer. Um, Andrew, I'm sorry to interrupt. Yep. Andrea asked if we're live because she can't see us. So can other people? Yeah, I can, I can see that we're live on the, on the actual group. Okay. Yep. Great. Yeah. We're Just making sure. Yep. We're, I, I can see both you and I, there's always a little bit of a delay, um, with the feed, but I mean, that's, that's common. So yeah, we are good to go. So 
Um, so that that's that's a big one. Okay, so if you're not incorporated, everybody listening in, then honestly, you're crazy not to be incorporated. Um, the reality is that there's tons of risks, but um, you know, if you don't incorporate yourselves, guys, think about this. You could be in business for three years, five years, ten years, fifteen years, twenty years, and it only takes once. It's not like it takes. It's not like you know, you got so many points on your license and, you know, oh, I got caught speeding. Oh, okay, I still have my license. You know, I've got so many more points left. I mean, you can literally, you can totally get screwed over. Am I right, Kayla? What's this? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and what, what, what would be the situation that would um, be initiated? It Would it be like a lawsuit or something of that nature? Yeah, usually a lawsuit. Right. And, what and are... remember, and, and, and let me let me say this as well. Um, you know, I, I talk a lot about construction liens and registering construction liens, and, and we'll talk about that a little bit today, but it's not really the point of today's discussion. But if you're a contractor and you're operating by yourself, and, and I'm going to use Andrew again, and you're just Andrew Houston, yeah. and you decide that you want to register a lien because you haven't been paid, not that Andrew would ever let his accounts go unpaid, and not that Andrew That's would right. ever fight the client, but if you ever need to register a lien and Andrew Houston registers a lien against someone's home, what's going to happen is the next step after you register a lien is that you have to start a lawsuit. Okay. So Andrew's going to start a lawsuit and Andrew Houston is going to be the plaintiff in that lawsuit. And what's inevitably going to happen is that once you start your lawsuit, the homeowner is going to counterclaim against you. That happens in pretty much every construction case ever. So now you're owed money. You're trying to get the money, but now you've got a lawsuit against you and your personal assets are exposed. Wow. So, so yeah, it can come up if you get sued, but even if you do everything right and you don't get sued because your work was deficient, but you start a lawsuit because you haven't been paid and you want to protect your bottom line, your assets are still exposed because you're not incorporated. Hey, Kayla, can I share something that's um, very personal? Always. Mm. So everybody listening in. I got sued. I got sued. I wasn't incorporated. I did it over a handshake. I did the old school, you know, Hey, I was helping this guy out. Long story short was I was helping this guy out. He couldn't do the work. I was an automation expert. He wasn't. And, you know, we sat down with the client. He's at one side of the table. I'm at the other side of the table. They're like, okay, Andrew, we need you with your expertise on automation such and such electric is going to go and do the install and things of that nature. And I'm like, yeah, this is totally cool. And I was not incorporated and I got sued. And I mean, I was at a super young age having to go and get a loan for my mom, but it was all out of my pocket. So everybody trust me, Kayla, I've never, I haven't shared that ever on a podcast, but that, that was the reality. That was a massive like wake up. Things out and I was, and, and the, the reality of the situation was, you know, and I know people are going to be like, okay, Andrew, whatever, but the reality of the situation, I did this as a favor and it completely came back on me. You know, once, once that other party started thinking that, Hey man, we're out a lot of money because we didn't realize that, you know, we didn't realize how big of a job Andrew was going to do in the automation side. They're like, we want it all. And they were all incorporated. And it almost, it, I almost had to file. I came that close to having to file for bankruptcy. So that's another thing I want to say, Andrew. Don't do favors for people. I, I mean, I'm, I'm joking a little bit, but 
but you've you've got to protect yourself. And so, you know, if if you're gonna do a favor for someone, that's fine. But you've got to make sure that you're protected. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually use this as a jumping off point to talk about the next thing that I wanted to say, mm-hmm. which is put everything in writing. No handshake deals, Andrew. No handshake. Tie my hands behind my back here. Every keep your hands don't even shake your clients' hands. We're in a pandemic. There shouldn't be handshakes, period. Um, Every every contractor should have a standard construction contract that they use. If you're a GC, it's a good idea to have a contract that you use with your client and a contract that you use with your subcontractors. If you're a subcontractor, most often if you're a trade. A lot of the time, the contractor that you're working with will have a standard form of contract that they're going to give you, but they might not. And if they don't, it's a good idea for you to have one. So I I do this for a lot of PFC clients. I prepare construction contracts. Again, I'm based in Ontario. So if you're based in Ontario, give me a call and I'm happy to help you out. If you're not based in Ontario, still welcome to give me a call and I can try to help you find someone that's uh, local to where you are. And for for other, uh, throughout Canada, I I can help you out as well. Um, but, but all this to say, you need to have a construction contract. It has to be in writing and it has to be good and it has to be appropriate to your jurisdiction. So, you know, if you're just downloading a contract off of the internet, that's a good start. It's better to have something than nothing, but, but, you know, if, if it doesn't conform to the laws in your state or in your province, um, you could run into issues still. So have a construction contract. If you're, especially if you're doing fixed price work. You should have a provision in your contract that requires change orders. And if you're going to make changes on the project, make sure you're putting it in writing, make sure you're getting signed and written change orders. At a minimum, make sure that you have an email between you and the client saying, I'm going to do this. This is what it's going to cost. And the client says, yep, but but don't, don't be making changes to the scope of work. Don't be making changes to the price of the work without a written change order at least in the form of an email you and, know, uh, oh yeah no no go ahead no go ahead no, no you go first i was gonna well was gonna, you know i want everybody to understand something here okay there's a couple of key things before we go any deeper is on the incorporated side once you're incorporated you're incorporated okay so that means that once it's taken care of it's taken it, it, it you're done that's it you're incorporated okay everybody um these contracts that Kayla is talking about, I want you to put a different set of lenses on than what I typically hear. And what I typically hear is, oh man, you know, I don't know if I really want to, you know, have that level of detail. It might actually, you know, it might actually turn away some clients. It might, you know, it, it might not be the best for my branding. That is a load of bullshit. Okay. Andrew, I could not agree more. And and sorry to interrupt you, but I I need to jump on that because you're absolutely right. And I, there's two things I want to say about that, and then I'm going to let you continue. But you wanted to add, but first of all, because because you're you're right, that's something I hear a lot. So first of all, these contracts that you see, and some of the ones you're downloading online may look like this. Now they're with therefore the here undersigned. We don't do that. Construction contracts should be in plain, simple English, easy to understand. If, if you're getting a construction contract drafted, it should be straightforward. It should only be a few pages long, five, maybe 10 at the outside. And it should be simple and easy to read, you know, 12 point font, not five pages of single space, six point font. 
it's it's clear, it's easy to read, it's short. And I think Andrew is is going to say the same thing. But I think it makes you look more professional. I don't think it makes you look scary. I don't think it makes it. I don't think that it's a turnoff to clients. I think that when you show up at your client's house and you say, "Hi, I'm here. I'm ready to go. Here's our draft contract." It makes you look professional. It makes you look like you've got your shit together. I think I'm allowed to swear on this podcast, given its name. Right. And 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 I think that people like that. You know, here's the thing. If you got to ask yourself this question. So there's a couple of things you want to think about. If somebody's not willing to sign a contract with you, which by the way, is not just about a one-way street of it protecting you, get that out of your head. It's, it's also to protect them as equally, right? The thing is, is that if somebody isn't willing to sign a contract that's going to help protect them, protect you and your relationship, make sure you're on the same page, you might want to be asking yourself the next question, which is like, should I be actually wanting to work for these people? Okay. And the, and the, and the last thing I want to say is whatever's in between your ears is how it's going to be interpreted to the prospect or to the client. And what do I mean by that? If you're going in there believing that this contract is a load of bullshit, you're going to get back bullshit. If you go in looking at this as I'm a serious business owner. And like Kayla said, this protects my brand. This helps have better relationships with our clients. This ensures that we are going to deliver what it is that we say. And so are you, Mr. and Mrs. Client. That is going to get you more of the right work. Okay. With the right clients, because you're going to be in the right mindset. Okay. So um, Kayla, what, what's a, that's like so far like this is this is great okay this is great this is what these guys this is what everybody needs to hear what's another area that i, I see there's a little question here from daniel um and uh maybe we can get to it after after this point but he says i want to let somebody go but i need legal paper so he won't uh destroy my contacts or that's that's what he put so we can talk about that in a second but what's another What's you said you wanted to touch on the lean thing just for a little bit. Let's let's get that sucker out of the way. Okay. So um, and again, I, I apologize to any of you who are outside of Ontario because I'm going to talk about the Ontario timelines. But um, the, the one thing that is universal is that there are lean timelines, and you should know what they are. And so, if you don't know what they are, um, Google may be able to tell you. And if Google can't tell you reliably, Call a lawyer in your in your jurisdiction. There's there's going to be an article written by a lawyer somewhere in your jurisdiction right. that'll tell you what they are. Um, you should know. In Ontario, by, by the way, by the way, what is a lien? That's a great question, Andrew. Okay, a lien is a right that you have against the property that you improved, and it's it's a really simple concept. Okay, the, the concept is you're a contractor. You showed up and proved the value of a piece of property, and the person who owns the property has lots of money, and they're going to get more money because they get to take advantage of the increase in the value that you provided, and you should get to share in that. Okay, so if you provide we call it labor services and materials to improve the value of a property, and you don't get paid, you have a right against that property, and to enforce that right you have to register a lien. Mm. A lien is for the value of the work that you've completed. Okay, it's, it's not tied to your invoices, it's tied to the value of work that you've completed. Why is that relevant? It's relevant because you might work for 
you know, three months on a project and oops, you just forgot to send an invoice or you had an agreement that you were going to get paid at the end of the project or whatever. Or maybe you worked for two and a half months and you invoiced for the first two months, but you haven't gotten to your billings yet for the third month. It doesn't matter. The, the amount that you've invoiced isn't what's relevant. The amount of work that you've done is what's relevant. Mm -hmm. Okay. In Ontario, the process for leaning is that you have 60 days from, it, it's, it's a little bit murky in some cases, but to be safe, we call it 60 days from your last day on site to register your lien. And then you've got another 90 days from that date to start a lawsuit. You have to do both of those things. And if you don't do one of them, then your lien rights expire. And they're, they're very unforgiving. In, in Ontario, at least, most timelines, if you miss them, you just go to court, you say, oops, sorry, your honor, can I get a little more time? And the court says, no problem. Liens don't do that. With liens, if you miss it, you're done and you can never get it back. So why do I bring this up? I bring this up because, and sorry, uh, before I get to that, I want to say one more thing, which is that projects that were started before July of 2018 in Ontario, okay, so uh, three years ago, if you're still working on any older projects, the lien right is actually only 45 days, not 60. Mm. So um, that's becoming less common now that we're into 2022. And especially if you guys are mostly doing home renovation projects, you're probably not working on any old projects. But just, just to keep in mind that if it's an old project, um, you should assume it's 45 days until you learn otherwise. Anyway, the reason that I bring this all up is if you're not getting paid, you should at least consider whether you want to register a lien. And you may not want to register a lien in every case, and that's fine. But the last thing you want to do is let your lien rights expire. And, you know, I have a, while we're telling war stories, um, I have a client who's like the nicest guy in the world. And it is not helpful to him when he wants to get paid. Because inevitably, he just, he gives people so much latitude and he waits and waits and waits. He's like, ah, they're going to pay me. They said they're going to pay me. And uh, a couple of years ago, actually, when I first met him, he came to me because he'd been working with a lawyer who didn't do construction law. And he said, oh, I think it's time that I need a construction lawyer. And I said, yep, I think that's right. And what had happened was he'd, he'd not been paid and he was owed a lot of money, $200,000. They hadn't been paid. And he went to his lawyer and he, he wrote an email to the other side and he threatened to register. And the other side said, yeah, 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 we're going to pay you, we're going to pay And they never paid him. Then his lien rights expired. Mm. Then he asked his lawyer to start a lawsuit. So his lawyer started a lawsuit. So now he's in, he's in a lawsuit, which he wanted to avoid because he's a super nice guy. Now he's in a lawsuit, but he doesn't have a lien. So what happened? He brought the lawsuit to me. He said, I think we need to fix some things. I said, yeah, we should fix some things. Anyway, eventually we won. Okay. And he got, he got a judgment for like $200,000 plus his legal costs. Like he got a judgment for almost $300,000. He has not seen a penny of that. It's been three years now. He has not seen, and he still sends emails. He's like, where's my money? I want my money. The problem is he contracted with a corporation that's just one corporation related to a whole bunch of other corporations. They've got a whole network of corporations specifically designed to protect themselves from liability which is what I'm recommending all of you do. But the problem is that as a contractor, you've got really good rights, right? You've got a right against the property. And if he'd registered a lien, then eventually when that property was sold and it has been sold, 
he would have been entitled to be paid out of the proceeds. But he didn't register a lien, so instead, he's just chasing this shell company who doesn't own any assets, who's who's doesn't have any money anymore. They were only set up for this one project. The project's finished. And the reality is he's never going to see that money. And so he ended up in the same position he would have anyway, right? He wanted to avoid a lawsuit, so he didn't register a lien, but he ended up in a lawsuit anyway, but it wasn't as valuable as if he'd registered the lien. So I say this all to tell you guys that you're not going to register a lien every time you don't get paid, but sometimes you're going to want to register a lien and you need to make that decision before your lien rights expire. So just keep track, keep track of when your last day on site is, when your lien periods expire, and you know, call, call a lawyer before your lien periods expire. And, and by the way, don't call a lawyer on the last day of your lien period. Um, typically, I can put a lien together within 24 hours, but sometimes it's more complicated, sometimes it takes longer, and the last thing that you want is to call your lawyer on the last day and have something go wrong. Call it. a lawyer by day 55. Again, that's in Ontario. I don't know the lien yeah. um, periods in every jurisdiction, but in Ontario, at least, call your lawyer at day 55 and say, hey, I have lien rights. I think they're going to expire soon. Can you confirm that for me? Perfect. Love it. Love it. So let's see here. We got, let's go back to, um, let's see here. Okay. So Daniel, we've got a couple of questions. One is, um, back to Daniel, he says, I want to let somebody go, but I need uh, legal paper so he won't destroy my uh, contacts. Um, any insight on like some of the legal things that people should um, prepare themselves for when they're letting somebody go? So uh, first of all, this is obviously different jurisdiction to jurisdiction. Yes. And second of all, I'm not an employment yep. lawyer. So uh, really, really high level, I can tell you that at least in Ontario, you can either fire someone for cause, which is that you have a reason, or you can fire someone without cause. If you fire someone without cause, you can fire anyone at any time. You don't have to have a reason. As long as you're not firing them for you know, a human rights ground, like because of their religion or something. Right. But if you just fire someone because it's not working out and you don't really like them anymore, you can fire them anytime you want, but you have to give them notice. And that's when we talk about severance. Severance is just the amount of notice that you're you're paying someone. So you can either say, you know, you can work two more weeks and then you're done, or you can say you're done today, but I'll pay you for two more weeks. Right. Right. Okay. It's always easier to fire someone without cause and mm -hmm. just pay them enough that they go away. So, um, you know, ha having the, the best thing you can do to protect yourself is to have an agreement with the person that says, I agree that I'm not working here anymore and I'm going to be paid this much money um, for that. But it's, it's always a good idea to consult uh, an employment lawyer before you fire someone because the exposure is that you, you could get sued if you do it yeah, and I, I know this isn't your field of expertise, but even what you've just pr provided there is is great. Um, I guess before we move on from Daniel's question, uh, is there any con is there any contracts or any agreements that you know of? Again, again, I know this isn't your expertise, but where you can protect yourself that such that you know, say you got an employee, you know, contracting space. We'll just use electrical because I was an electrician, and I've got a, I got this electrician working for me. And um, he's got, uh, you know, uh, a relationship with my customers because he's been servicing those customers, say it's a service contract or something like that. So he knows them intimately, um, but they're my clients. Is there anything that you can put into, pl into place that you know of that you could say, hey, um, you know, let's say the person decides to quit where they're not there. You're going to have some protection that they're not going to go after your clients. 
Yeah, totally. So um, I would say that employment contracts are really one of the top three things that, that I help um, PFC clients with. And again, I, I don't do it. One of my colleagues does. Um, I do construction contracts, but I have colleagues who do employment uh, contracts. But so, so yes, we, we draft a lot of employment contracts for PFC clients. And it's, as I've said, put things in writing. You don't have to have an employment contract with your employee, but it's a really good thing to do. Mm-hmm. And yes, we do have um, language that we can put in employment contracts that say that you can't solicit um, the employer's clients for some period of time after you leave. You have to be careful with non-solicitation clauses because they have to be, um, excuse me, they have to be uh, reasonable. And there are all kinds of rules that the courts have come up with around what is and isn't reasonable. Um, so we, we do do that. Okay, awesome, awesome. Okay, uh, let's see if we can get another question in here. So Chuck says, I haven't read this one yet. So let's see, uh, what should I take to an attorney in my area to have generalized contract written up? something I can use with all of my clients. So basically what he's, he's, I think Chuck is asking is like, how do I get, what are some of the things that I should get prepared? That's a great great question. If you already have something that you're using, I would bring that to your lawyer because they should, they should look at it. Find a construction lawyer. Um, Don't, don't just find a lawyer who does contracts. Construction law is very specific. In Ontario, we always say don't dabble in construction law because there's so many rules and they don't relate to any other industry. So, um, Find a construction lawyer. Again, if you're in Ontario, call me. Uh, if you're not, you can send me an email. I can try to find you someone in your area. Um, find a construction lawyer. And just, there's nothing you really need to bring them. You just need to be prepared to tell them a little bit about your business. What do you do? Who are your clients typically? Um, you know, how much insurance coverage do you carry? What's your, what's your pricing model? Do you do fixed price or cost plus? Uh, how often do you invoice? Do you take deposits? Things like that. But, um, you know, I have a standard list of questions that I ask clients when I'm preparing a contract for them. So I'm sure that, again, if you find a different lawyer in, in your jurisdiction, I'm sure they'll be able to tell you exactly what information they need. There's nothing really that you need to give your lawyer. Well, but those are those are good things though, that you just highlighted, like the cycle time of your invoicing, you know, knowing whether what kind of like your structure around pricing. Right. They, you know, the lawyer needs to have a bit of a gauge of what your pricing model is. Like, those are some of the things that, you know, just be prepared that they're going to be inquiring about, because I'm sure those are some of the things that, you know, have to be protected or be considered. Right. I mean, if you, if you do jobs that everybody listening in, if you're doing jobs that are three, four years, then you, that's important because you might already, you might have some jobs that are, are still going on since 2019, 2018. Like who knows? Like those are all relevant questions, right? To protect yourself once you finish those jobs or whatever, right? So awesome. Very cool. All right. Um, Dan says, where do I get a paper for this? Uh, Daniel, we can, this, uh, what else we got here? Yeah, so D- Daniel, Daniel's just saying this guy is a big mouth, um, enough to slander. So, yeah, that, it just goes to show, Daniel. Like my dad used to say this to me, and I don't know if how relevant it is, but um, he used to say a rat is just a rat, but when you corner a rat, it becomes a beast. In other words, in other words, putting contracts in place is all about protecting you and as well protecting the client in some cases. But 
this whole buddy like mentality that like I've got in me, you know, the hand, the, the handshake deals, the things of that nature. If you can get into your mindset that that's not going to do anybody, you know, it's not really going to benefit people. It's going to be, and it's not about being a jerk. Okay. Or being an asshole. It's, it's really about truly being a champion seal business owner. That's what it's about. Okay. Can I jump on that? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I totally, totally agree with that. And I'll tell you, I do sometimes work for homeowners. I prefer working with contractors, but you know, I, I do it all. And I'll say like the number one thing that I hear from homeowners is I was so stupid. You know, there was no contract and I should have known. And so I can tell you that from, from the homeowner's perspective, it is, it looks more professional and they know that the contract protects them as much as it protects you. So I agree completely. You shouldn't think that you're going to put people off by asking for a contract. The other thing I'll say about the, you know, being buddy, buddy is you should be buddy, buddy with your clients. Of course you should. You should be nice. You should be friendly. Your clients should like you. They should want to work with you. I hope my clients like and want to work with me, but you know, I cannot tell you how, well, actually I can. It's a hundred percent, a hundred percent of the cases that I review. I have to review all the email correspondence that goes back and forth between the contractor and the homeowner. I got to tell you, in 100% of cases, they start off all buddy-buddy. Hey, yeah, how's your kids? How's your dog? It's great to see you. Oh, I'm really excited to start this project. We're so happy to be working together. And by the end, it's like, screw you. You screwed up everything in my house. I hate you. I never want to see you again. And so and so, all of this is to say that, you know, you should be buddy-buddy, but you should still protect yourself because you don't, you just don't know how things are going to turn out. Right, right. And yeah. sometimes things go wrong, they're out of your control, right? Maybe when your con- your subcontractors does something stupid that you didn't expect, you've worked with them before, you thought they were great, but they do something stupid and now you're on the hook for it, right? It's it's not, it has nothing to do with how good of a contractor you are, but you've, you've got to protect yourself because you don't know what's going to happen. You, you know, everybody listening in, there are things that are in your control. Getting contracts in place, it's in your control, okay? There's a lot of things to make sure the relationship with the client goes well. And there's certain aspects, a lot of things that you have control of, but there's some things that you don't have control of. And that's, that's you know, a big reason to have a contract. And I'm just going to throw one out there. I don't know if anybody can relate to this or knows what I'm talking about, but something called COVID. Oh, oh. shit. Oh, shit. Um, I can't get, I, I don't have enough guys are at home sick. Oh man, um, you know, uh, because of that, I can't get enough guys on the job site because we get, we're only limited by so many people in the same room. So now that slowed me down. Boom, lawsuit. Oh, what do you mean? Well, you delayed the project. Uh, you're not falling through on what we talked about. It's like, oh shit, I should have had a contract. Yeah, that's a great, that's just a great example, Andrew. You know, and, and, and let's face it. Did you, were you in control of COVID? No. Were you in control of the regulations and the rules that the government, whether you're in the States or freaking Mexico or Canada or Ontario? No. But what is the one thing that you could have had control over? The contract and how, you know, how to deal with those different scenarios, right? And and by the way, maybe this, I don't know, Kayla, if this is, again, I'm just throwing this out there. We didn't talk about this, but I don't know if that's grounds for, you know, in the future, making some considerations around, you know, if, if certain things, you know, happen that are out of our control in a contract. So we, so we do. And, and, you know, most, so it's funny because our standard, we call that in um, 
in well, we call it a force majeure clause. And uh, it's a oh yeah yeah word. I know that one. It's a, it's a fancy word for it. it's not my fault. Um, yeah. And and we we have a long list of stuff in our force majeure clauses and. And so, you know, I'll, I'll say it's funny because every time I draft it, I'm like, airstrikes, war, blockades, ha, 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 epidemics. And you know what? There's a pandemic. And, and our standard force majeure clause says that if there's a pandemic, you know, you're not responsible for whatever that you couldn't do because of the pandemic. And I would never have thought that that would come up in my lifetime or matter. But you know what? People who had that in their contract are really happy right now. So if you're listening in on this podcast, I don't care where the hell you are in the world, if you don't have that clause in your contracts as of today, you and you've listened to this, I'm going to say this not to be a mean person. If something freaking happens to you because of uh, it's related to some pandemic or something like that, then welcome to what I call ignorance tax because you've been well aware of it. You've been told get it in your contracts, make that slight modification and protect yourself because nobody else in all honesty, you know, one of the things about being a champion sale is being, is taking what's called extreme ownership. Extreme ownership means you need to protect yourself. You need to protect your business. It's protecting your clients. It's protecting your team. It's protecting your family. Like, but you've got, you have to own it, right? Nobody else. And you know what, Andrew, that's a that's a great point. And I'll, I'll also uh, note this one as well. Another thing that's been a big deal lately is uh, the lumber shortage and the escalation in prices of lumber. And a big thing that I'm being asked uh, by contractors who are doing fixed price work is to put in a material price escalation clause that says this is the fixed price, but if the price of materials goes up by some percentage, uh, I get to change the price. And that's a big one that people don't use a lot because you know clients want a fixed price, you give them a fixed price, you're taking the risk that materials go up. That's how fixed price contracts work. But um, recently it's been a really big issue. So well, and and you know, guys, think think about this, okay? Not I'm not gonna get deep into it, but I'm just gonna tell you this. Um, I use this example all the time. Most contractors are lucky to get a net profit of 10%. Okay. So going back to you know, you lose, you know, you lose 2% here, 3% there, 5% there. Okay. You get a lawsuit. You, you don't get paid because you didn't do a lien. I'm going to tell you right now, this puts months, this puts years onto the work that you have to do to pay for those errors, the pay for those things of ignorance, right? Like, and at the end of the day, they're coming to, they're going to be coming to you in one way or another. They're going to be coming to you personally or they're going to be coming to you as a business owner. It's really up to you, right? So, so Andrew, I want to tell uh, one more cautionary tale. And then if there's more questions, I'm happy to answer them. But I think I think you'll like this one. So um, I, I promised Andrew I would tell some cautionary tales. So yeah. um, a couple months ago, I had a, a case that I mean, I've been working on it for a few years. And um, I was working for a homeowner. And here's what happened. The homeowner contracted with the contractor who seemed like a really nice guy. But what happened was that he gave him a price and the homeowner said to him, we really like you, but your price is $100,000 higher than the other guy that we want to hire. So if we're going to work with you, you've got to knock $100,000 off your price. Andrew, what do you call that? I, I, what I call, that guy? Well, what, would, what would I say to that guy? What would you say to that guy? I would say, have a nice day. Bye. Correct. You know what this guy said? 
okay, I'll knock $100,000 off. So that's the first part of the cautionary tale. Andrew talks about this, I think, constantly. Like, I don't think, I think I hear Andrew talk about this more than anything else. But, but, it, but it's true, it, right? And I couldn't, even, I couldn't even believe it. I was reading these emails. He's like, you got to knock $100,000 off because we'd rather go with you. I'm like, well, if you'd rather go with him, there's probably a reason you'd rather go with him. So you got to pay more for it. Otherwise, go with the guy who's $100,000 less. Anyway, so, so things didn't start off well. Okay, yes, contractor knocked $100,000 off of his price. So what happened inevitably was he couldn't do the, pro the, the project for the price that he, that he promised. It was a fixed price contract. So he said, okay, fine, whatever, we'll do it for, I don't remember what the price was, let's call it 400,000. Said, oh, fine, I'll, we'll, we'll do it for 400. And of course he couldn't do it. So as the project went on, he's issuing all these change orders and he's, he's asking for more money. And he was, he was, sort of organized with his paperwork. So he'd provide them with updated budgets and spreadsheets and costs of doing the work. He'd issue all these change orders. The clients would sign the change orders and the clients paid all the change orders. And then at some point he issued a huge invoice and said, oh, I also need another almost a hundred thousand dollars. Exactly, I knew you were gonna say that. And, there's, and there was no, there were no change orders. He just said, well, I need it because of all these things and there are all these problems. And Here's how that story ended. We went to a mediation with one of the former construction lien associate judges. And I said to the mediator, here's how much the contract was for, and here's all the change orders. And you can see that my client paid all the contract amounts, paid for all the change orders. The only amount they haven't paid is this extra invoice that was sent at the end for nothing. And then I don't see any basis for them to have to pay it. And the former construction lien associate justice said, yeah, why, where did this come from? And that ended with the contractor walking away and he got nothing. And, and I just, I think that's an important cautionary tale for so many reasons. First one, I'll say again, don't, don't sell yourself short. You're doing good work. You're doing it for the price that you're doing. You know how much you need to make on a job in order to do the job. Do it for that price. Don't work with jerks who want to cut you down. Yep. It's not worth it. Number two, have a change order provision and then follow the change order provision. Because this guy got halfway there, right? He had a change order provision and he did issue change orders and they were thorough and they were good, but then he just stopped at one point. And I think that the reason that he stopped was that he just couldn't really keep up with everything because there were just, he, you know, his costs were getting out of control and whatever, but that goes back to the first issue. But because he didn't have written change orders, he wasn't entitled to be paid for the extra work that he did. So that's my, that's my cautionary tale. And that's, again, I cannot overstate, put everything in writing, have a written contract, have written change orders, and, and just make sure that everything is set out in writing. It, it doesn't, I swear to you, it does not come across as, you know, covering your ass. It doesn't make your client think that you don't trust them. It makes you look professional. It makes you look diligent and your client will take comfort in it. Totally, totally. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to say one of the things that should make this a little bit easier for everybody here, okay, is we're in a space right now. And I mean, I know the space. This is my, this is my sandbox, right? This is, we see thousands and thousands of people engaged with proper contractors. 
And one of the things that's consistent is there is more demand than there is supply. I'll say that again, there's more demand than there is supply. And by the way, it's gonna get, e the gap is gonna get even greater, okay? We're in the next 10 years, it's gonna be the greatest exit of, of small, medium businesses. And one of the greatest areas is in the construction space because there's all these older guys that are like, they're just gonna hang the key up. They're not gonna sell the business. They're just gonna walk away. So I'm saying this because I wanna let you know that you should be empowered by that statement. You should be empowered to say, listen, I'm going to cherry pick and I'm going to work with the right type of clients that, that re not only respect me, but you know, they, 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 they support me protecting me and protecting them. Okay. So if you're in a situation where that's not the case in today's world, I'm going to tell you right now, there's, there's other problems. Okay. But whatever you do, don't get desperate. Don't be that guy that was like, I'll drop a hundred grand, you know, forget about it. Okay. Know your pricing. Know, you, you know how to play the game and like anything in life, you know, it's funny, you know, like uh, Kayla, you, did you ever play any sports in life? Yeah. Okay. Give me a sport that you play. I played rugby for a while. Most people Love it. Woo! Okay. <laughs> so what's the rules of the game with rugby? Sure. Yeah, there's rules of the game. Now, why was there rules of the game? Because otherwise, it would just be a bunch of people running around on the field. Otherwise, it'd just be a whole bunch of people running out on the field. Right. Everybody listening in, isn't it funny that if we were to play rugby, a game of shinny outside, pick up hockey, I don't care freaking if it was hunting, I don't care what the sport. You know what the funny thing is? We'd all be like, hey, man, these are the rules of the game. Now let's go play. But the first thing is like, what's the rules of the game? Otherwise there's no game, it's just mass chaos. So make sure that you're playing by your rules of the game. Otherwise you're gonna be playing by somebody else's game with different rules and guess what? The outcome might not be what it is that you want it to be, okay? So um, I guess if there was one last thing that you would tell uh, you know, the audience listening in, is there like, what would be the last piece of advice before we wrap up this podcast? You know, I, I want to, I want to make it something new that I haven't already said. Mm -hmm. um, but I just, I, I, I just want to, I, I can't, I just want to say again, because I, it's the, this is the piece of advice that I want to give every contractor I talk to. Mm -hmm. Do the things you have to do to protect yourself. Make them a priority. Incorporate. It's not hard. It's not expensive. It needs to be at the top of your to-do list if you haven't done it yet. Mm. Have a written contract. Make it a good one. Put things in writing. You've, you've got to protect yourself. And, you know, if you're, if you're part of PFC, you're doing it because you want to level up your business. That's, that's why you're all here. And this is a big part of leveling up your business. You can't, you know you're joining profit for contractors because you want to earn more profits make sure you're keeping them put them in your pocket totally. don't let them don't let them pass you by you can't get your profits to pay for your freedom if everybody's taking your profits yeah. right okay totally. so here's my my last my last word of wisdom everybody listening in okay and this might be a generally it's a rhetorical question but i want you to seriously think about this okay there's two two questions to this Number one question, 
are you a lawyer? Survey says, I bet, you it's a, I bet you it's a no, but there's somebody on here that is a lawyer. And why am I asking that question? Well, let's see where question two goes, okay? Are you really good at your trade? I'm gonna, I'm gonna fucking tell you this, okay? 90 plus percent, 95% of the people that come through the door, become a champion CEO of Profit Contractors are absolutely the Gretzky's in other words, they're amazing at their trade. They know their trade. They, they're able to process shit in your brain, in their brains. You guys are all smart. If you're an owner of a contracting company, I am telling you right now, you are super intelligent. You got, you got more skill set than people have any idea that you can, you can look at blueprints. You can, you can process like a fucking thousand things going through your head and organize things and follow, you know, different codes and regulations and all that stuff. But it's all related to your trade. Okay. Don't try and be a fucking lawyer. Don't try to be uh, a bookkeeper. Don't try to be the accountant. There's a, you know, how many years did you have to go to school, Kayla? Uh, seven. Seven. And you probably came out and it was like, now I have to actually learn how to be a lawyer. Probably. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I, that's why I hesitated. I went to school for seven years, but then I had to learn a lot of stuff right. when I finished. Right. It took me five years to become an electrician. I'm going to tell everybody listening in. I came out. I thought that I knew what the, what it was to be an electrician. And I was like, start. I felt like I was a first-term apprentice once it was like, okay, Andrew, here's your first big job. And I was like, holy shit, this is real. My point is be good at what you're supposed to be good at and, and surround yourself with a team of people, of experts to make your business you know, as good as it can be. Stop trying to be the expert. Start, stop trying to say, you know, I don't know if I need that or maybe I should get that or whatever. Don't, don't, you know, you, you've got enough things to focus in on. And, and part of becoming a champion sale and scaling your business and getting it to the next level is putting yourself in the right seats on the bus that you're good at. And even more importantly, making sure you're not in the wrong seats. So go get an expert, you reach out to Kayla. If you're if you're in the if you're in the Profitable Contractors Association, post your questions to us um, and and really get the expert advice. So that's another no bullshit podcast from Profit for Contractors. Thank you so much, Kayla, for being here today, and thanks for being part of our community. You know, Kayla's in our Champion CEO group. Ask you know where people are asking questions. You've helped so many of our clients and protect them and protect their profits and protect their business. You're a rock star. Uh, you've done a lot of great things for us here, Prof for Contractors. So everybody listening in, uh, if I'm having somebody like Kayla on here, it's because I trust her and that's, that, that should go far. So thank you so much for everything that you've done for us and uh, we'll keep, you, it, uh, keep it move, moving forward. Always a pleasure. Thanks. Hey, Rockstar, I hope you enjoyed that one. And if you did like this one, join our private Facebook group, Profitable Contractors Association. It's one of the biggest communities for contractors with over 10,000 members where you get the latest insights to help you delegate, dominate, and deliver so you can take your contracting business to a whole nother level.